You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Yeah, it's good to be here. Last week, Tom talked about, um, I didn't know what he's talking about. It's kind of related to what I'm talking about this week, so it's kind of cool. It really connects. But um, he talked about just the struggle that we have in, in American culture not to be sort of self-absorbed, self-centered, and to, to serve the body of Christ and to surrender. And um, I kind of wanted to talk about that today in a totally weird connection. I'm talking about heaven, and it's, it's going to be a, a stretch in a sense, but I, I, I'm excited about this topic because I feel like it's been on my heart for a while. Um, a few weeks ago, well, actually it was a few months ago, I heard some testimonies here. We do testimonies every few weeks, and, uh, and several folks had these amazing stories about how they were asking God for divine, you know, appointments or divine moments to where they could share the love of Christ and pray for somebody or talk to somebody about Jesus. And I was just so moved by so many people's stepping out in faith and doing that, that I, I started just praying, God, would you, would you set up these, these things? I, I don't want to, like, you know, manufacture things. I wanted God to, like, sort of set up those times. It's kind of loud, but um, sorry. So I, I was praying about it, and I went into Walmart I was buying some new clothes, and, um, <laughs> and I, was, uh, I, I felt like the Lord was, was telling me he wanted me to buy someone groceries, just buy someone some, some groceries. And um, so I went through the whole time, you know, shopping and stuff, and I got in line and hadn't really sensed anything. And then I saw this guy who was, um, he looked like he was, he was a hunchback. He was kind of leaned over, and he had this neon orange construction jersey on. I was like, well, that's a pretty good sign right there. And um, it's like, boom. And he was like, you know, a few people in front of me. And, uh, and I really, he, wasn't, he wasn't a hunchback. He had a, a backpack on, I realized, from, from work or something, and he just was hunched over. But it wasn't, you know, still was dr- dramatic. Anyway, so, but as I began thinking about buying this guy groceries and um, realizing it was a Lord, you know, desire to do that, I began rationalizing it away. I just began making all these excuses why I probably shouldn't. And I, I was, you know, four or five people back, and he was moving up in the line, and I, I thought, you know, he, what if he just is embarrassed? I don't want to embarrass him. What if, what if someone else gets offended? What if, you know, he doesn't really need the money or something, and I, I'm just enabling him? Or whatever, I started justifying and rationalizing. And slowly, the line moved on, and he bought his stuff, and he left, and I, and I did nothing. And I thought, wow, I just can't believe I did that. Like, I just, the Lord just set that up so easily. Neon orange, boom, right in front of you, Brian. And I just chickened out. And I, I, I thought about it afterward. I thought, what just happened? You know, I thought it was such a simple thing to love this guy, to step out and to just buy his groceries. But I, but I was too afraid, really. There was the, the fear of rejection, the fear of him I don't know, being, being offended or him being shocked and embarrassed or something. And I thought to myself, I'm pretty worldly. Like, that's, that's a pretty worldly mindset to fear rejection, to fear man, to, to just go along with the culture to not help, to go along with not embarrassing, not offending, not um, inconveniencing anybody. And... The Lord showed me, I feel, feel like in that experience, that we are called as Christians to not be worldly-minded, but be heavenly-minded. And so I began looking, about, looking at this, 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 this theme of heaven, um, and so that's what I want, I want to talk, talk about today. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the beauty 
of heaven, God. It's not something we think about much, but I pray that you would bring revelation today of the beauty of this place and that you've called us to be heavenly-minded. And I pray you just open up your word, open up your truth, open up our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the scripture is Colossians 3. And if we have it, we should put it up there. Um, it says this, Colossians 3.1. Since then, since then, or therefore, because you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, when Christ is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. So, not even, not even to mention, talk about that stuff really, but Paul, Paul's solution to dealing with those struggles is not that you think about those things, the, the impurity, immorality, greed. His solution to the struggles that we face every day is that we would become heavenly-minded, that we would, we would set our hearts and set our minds on the things above. The first thing he says is, you've been raised with Christ, because he says later on in verse 3, he says, you've died. So when you were baptized, basically, that's, that's what baptism symbolizes. When you go down in the water, you're saying, Lord, everything that I have wanted to control, everything that I've been in charge of in my life, I am dying to right now. And when you come up out of the water, we did that two weeks ago in baptism, you're saying, I am resurrected now, and my life is hidden in Christ. My life is in Christ. And so you are in control, Lord. So my desires, my will, my plans, my goals, I submit to you. So, he, he's, so Paul's saying, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. So your heart, first, that's, that's the affections. That's your will, that's your, your desire, that you would have desire for heaven, that you'd have desire for the things of heaven. And that's, that's, that sounds kind of weird, but do you long for Jesus? Like, in, in worship today, I, I just sensed that. We just touched that when we were singing about heaven, about the angels and the saints saying, worthy are you, Lord. We were just entering in the reality of what's going on right now. That's what Paul's talking about, is that you'd set your hearts. And then he says, he says, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. So that's, that's everything, really. That's your heart and your mind. So when he says, set your mind, he's saying, think correctly about heaven. What do you think about heaven? Is it just you and a cloud and a harp and Jesus? I mean, is it, like, what do we think about heaven? We have, a lot of people don't have any idea what heaven's going to be like. We have these false, weird ideas that it's going to be, you know, or it could have wings and fly around on clouds, whatever. But I'll get to that in a second. But he's saying, think correctly about heaven, as well as when you think about heaven, you make the values of the kingdom of heaven your values. That is a huge idea here. Are the values that we operate in, the goals that we have, are those goals rooted in our cultural norms and expectations, or are they given to us from heaven by God? What are the values and goals and objectives that we operate every day in? Is it to whatever, just, you know, the, we, we have our own, our own goals and objectives. But Paul is saying, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above. And then all the other stuff, all the, the struggles will be lessened. Because you will be in love with the things of heaven. You'll be agreeing with the things of heaven. You will be um, walking in the values of heaven. 
And the value I walked in in Walmart was not being embarrassing or not being um, risky. I, I, wanted, I wanted to just, just not rock the boat by talking to this guy or praying for this guy and sharing the gospel with this guy. So what is heaven like? That's the good question. That's the real question, is what is actually the kingdom of heaven like? 2 Corinthians 2.9 says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even thought up of what God's prepared. So, so really it's unknowable in some ways. What God has prepared for you as believers, it's, un, it's unknowable. It's going to be so amazing, so, so incredible that it's, un, it's really unknowable ultimately. In the Bible, the word heaven is used over 500 times. More than the word grace, or the, more than the word mercy, more than the word uh, holy. It's used 500 times. But again, in the Greek, there's different words for heaven. Like the word for love, there's many different words for it. We, we just see the word love in English, but there could be, it could be three or four different words. Same with heaven. So when the Bible talks about heaven, it could just mean, commonly, the sky, you know, the atmosphere, the stars. When Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed the food, it just talks about the sky. A second category is sort of this spiritual realm where angels and demons exist. And they call that in the scripture kind of the, the middle or, thir- or second heaven, basically. There's, there's this realm that is unseen where there are, are, there's, it's, it's a real place that angels exist and demons exist, and this is, this is where they, they interact or whatever may happen. And then the third heaven is what I'm going to talk about real fast. This is the, the place that we go once we die as Christians. And it's... They call the third heaven or the, the throne room of God or the, the place where God uh, is seated. It's in Revelation 4. Let me read it to you real fast. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And on the throne who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone around like the emerald throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne was what looked like, looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. So John, the apostle, was taken into this vision of heaven. And right now, folks, there is a place in the universe, right now, where the seat, where the, the center of all authority is. There really is a physical place where God and the Son exist. And it's happening right now. There are these elders and these angels worshiping God. There's four living creatures that cry out to God day and night. And it's this picture of beauty and perfection and love. And it's right there. It's not the White House. It's not in London. It's not in Shanghai or Beijing. The seat of authority in the universe is this place in Revelation 4. And when we enter into worship, when we enter into praise, we are agreeing with and entering in what's happening in heaven. We're asking God to bring heaven to earth. And we're just tasting a bit of that. And I feel like if we have this picture in our minds that when we worship, we're just, we're just entering in that place. And when we die, when we die, we will go to this place immediately. And it will be with Jesus. And we'll see him for all that he is. And our hearts will know him perfectly. Imagine that just for a second. To know Jesus Christ, to see him in his beauty, 
to see him in his love, to see him in his glory with no condemnation, with no shame, with no fear, with no accusation, with no deception, with no pride. When you go to heaven, you die, and you step into that throne room, you see the elders and the living creatures worshiping the Lamb, saying, Worthy are you, Lord God. And we'll enter in that place. And that, that should give us hope. That should give us not just hope, but it should give us purpose. And that's where, that's where it's all going. That's where all, this, all the stuff of life is all ultimately going there. We're, we're part of a bigger story than me and my family and trying to have enough money for retirement and have a nice enough neighborhood to live in for my kids and a good enough school, and then you retire. So it, we're, it's bigger than retiring and going to the villages and playing shuffleboard. It's bigger than that, guys. It really is. And God, I think, wants us to think about the greater story that we're part of, that it began in a garden thousands of years ago with Adam and Eve. It began in this garden with perfection, with sinlessness. They walked with God in purity. They were deceived. They agreed with it. And it's going to end in another garden without sin, without the power of sin. It's going to end in that garden. We're going to walk with Jesus, in, and it's going to be incredible. That's where it's all going, regardless of what, what, what uh, our culture says or what, uh, what happens in our, in our world. So how do we, how do we enter in that? Um, how do we take that reality to, to now? I, I think I want to share real quickly, too, that it doesn't just end there in the throne room. Revelation uh, 21 says that, that heaven actually comes to earth. When Jesus returns and sets everything right, he's actually going to bring heaven to earth. We're not going anywhere, in a sense. We're, we're going to a temporary place, the throne room of God. This is a little, this is a little weird, isn't it? You probably never thought about this. Some of you may have never thought about this. But we are not just going to sit up there in heaven. We're going to be back here on this earth forever. In the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to have jobs. We're going to have roles and responsibilities. Without sin, though, without jealousy from so-and-so working over there, and I don't get a job over there, Jesus told me to work over here. We're not going to, we're not, that's not going to exist in our hearts. We're going to say, I'm doing what I always wanted to do. And, and it's incredible to think about this, but, but what we do in life now, these 60, 70, 80 years, determines what we're doing for eternity on the new heavens and the new earth. So Revelation 21 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Oh, man. It's incredible. That's where it's all going. I'm scared to buy this guy groceries. I mean, that's where it's all going. And God wants to invite this guy into that, into that reality, into that story. God wants to invite your coworkers, your neighbors, your family into this story. And I'm scared. It's, it's, it's kind of shocking that we, we, we'd have that. So the benefits, the benefits, the, the, the 
the rewards, I guess, of thinking on heaven and, and believing in heaven and seeing the correct picture of heaven are this. I think that living for heaven produces confidence and it breaks the power of fear. It produces confidence and breaks the power of fear, which I just talked about, the Walmart thing. You know, I think fear, I heard this preacher for one, one time say that fear is false evidence that appears real. I had all these things concluded in my mind about this guy at Walmart, what he's going to do to me, like what he may say to me or what other people may say to me. It was, it was false evidence that actually appeared real. I felt the realness, so I stopped what God wanted me to do. Fear is just false evidence appearing real to us emotionally. And a proper view of heaven helps. It doesn't solve it, but I think proper view of, of where this is all going produces confidence and breaks the power of fear. We realize it's all temporary. So a few weeks ago, this happened. There's another story where God gave me another divine appointment, and I almost screwed this one up too. So it was, we left church. It was a late night service here, and we left, and it was late. It was like 9 o'clock, and my wife was just about to have the baby. Uh, not, just, not then, right then, but, you know, a few, a few days later, I think it was. And, uh, and we were driving home, and we got some Chinese. She wanted to get some Chinese food. I didn't, we didn't have time to stop, so I, wanted to, I dropped them off at home first. Drove back to the Chinese place to get some Chinese food so they could, they could put the kids, she could put the kids down. Anyway, so I get there, and this guy's working there. He's, so, he's such a nice guy. His name is Paul. And he starts talking to me. And again, it's like one of these divine moments. I know it's the Lord. And he's like, I, I was uh, delivering Chinese food last, last month or something, and um, two guys held me up at gunpoint. And they, they were, were going to kill me. Like they, they, get, they get, began like faking that they were going to shoot me. And... He started sharing this crazy story about him being, you know, being robbed at gunpoint and almost killed. And I was thinking, man, it's so late. It's so late right now. It's almost, it's 9.30. And, and I'm, like, I'm thinking to myself, this is definitely the Lord. But I'm like, I just, she, my wife is, you know, pregnant and hungry. So there's wrath. There's wrath there if I don't get, if I don't get home. So he shares this whole story. And, I, and I'm like, I'm like, dang, man, that is crazy. Have a good night. So... I literally, that's what happened. I, I got in the car, and I was like, there was this, just a dagger in my stomach. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I let this one go. So I started driving home, and on the way home, I'm like, I have to go back. I have to go back. So, so I get home, and I tell my wife what happened. She's like, you have to go back right now. So I'm like, okay. I get back in the car. Now it's like 10 o'clock. And so I drive back, and I'm thinking, what if he's not there? Or what if, like, what if it's an angel or something? And so I get there, and I walk in, and, and like, the woman's like, the, there's a Chinese woman there at the front desk. I'm like, Where, um, is Paul here? And she's like, oh, no Paul, no Paul. And I was like, what do you mean there's no Paul? I'm like, it's, it was an angel. I'm going to hell for sure. No. So she thought I was there to complain about the food. So she's, like, covering for Paul. She's like, no, there's no Paul, no Paul. And so, so this goes on for, like, two minutes. I'm like, no, the guy, he's a white guy. He worked here. He's not, you know, he worked at the front desk. She's like, no, no. And then I said, look, I'm not here to complain. The food was great. Okay, it changed our lives. Okay, it's great. <laughs> and so, so she, she says, oh, Paul, he's right there. <laughs> so he's walking in the door from another, del- like a delivery. Yeah, so he's walking in. And, uh, and so he walks in. And I go, man, I go, dude, I'm sorry. I left earlier, but I felt like I had to get home and drop off the stuff for my wife. And she's really demanding. But um, I, I, I was like, I had, to come, I had to come back, man, because I feel like your story just really moved me. And I said, listen, you were not alone that night, and that God loves you, and that Jesus Christ was with you, and he has a purpose for your life, and, and you were spared because you're loved. 
And he was like, I mean, he just almost started crying. He said, I can't believe you came back. I can't believe you came back. It's been, it's been an hour now, and he's like, he's like, you came all the way back to tell me this. He's like, that is unbelievable. And, um, and so I just talked a little bit about his life a little bit, and I, I prayed with him. Nothing, nothing dramatic. He didn't like, you know, he, he's, he's, he believes in new age and stuff like that, so we just talked for a little while, and he tried to convert me and all that stuff. But <laughs> to, Chris, to crystals, he's like, you want a crystal? And I don't need crystals. So, but the point was, I did what the Lord was put on my heart. I did what God had pr- presented me and put in front of me. And I went back, and I just loved him. And I, and I, and I risked the rejection of it. I risked the looking stupid. I risked the not having the right answers. I risked all those things that were in my own rationalizations. Because God has called us to invite people into a greater story, to a greater picture, into a greater reality than just the here and now and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the issues that we have. Another benefit of heaven is the lesser pleasures and idols of this world lose their attraction and power. When we begin to love the things of heaven, when we begin to engage the things of heaven, the lesser pleasures, the pleasures that we, we've struggled with, the pleasures that we've lived for, the money, the, the prosperity, the power, the materials, those things become less attractive because I'm living for something greater than just my 401k. I'm living for something greater than just security. Another, pleasure, another benefit is that we will endure and face suffering with a different perspective. When we think about heaven, we will endure and face suffering with a different perspective. This is huge. This is huge. When we have a, when we have a proper understanding of where it's all going, we can endure the sickness, we can endure the pain, we can endure the, the brokenness in our lives. Because God is going to make everything new. He's going to make everything new. Right now, there are Christians around the world dying for their faith. 165,000 Christians died last year in the world because they wouldn't renounce Jesus and say that Muhammad was God's prophet. Why? They watched their children be crucified. They watched their children be sold into sex trade. And they wouldn't renounce Jesus. All they had to do was say, yeah, okay, Jesus, is, Jesus was a false prophet, or I accept Muhammad, or whatever, whatever, whatever they're supposed to say. And they didn't. I don't, I'm not sure I could do that. But right now, during this, during this service, Christians have died right now in the world for their faith. And I'm worried about the guy at Walmart rejecting me. I mean, we will endure and face suffering eventually even more in our country, I believe, where it's all going. But the reality is, God has called us to... to experienced what Jesus experienced. And he suffered rejection. He suffered persecution. He suffered. And we'll be able to encounter God's love in a different way when we do that. These people are, are, are heroes in, in, in my eyes, you know. They're heroes in God's eyes. And we say they're, they were 30 years old. They could, have, they could have just lied and said, I accept Muhammad and then gotten, you know, gotten free, right? Now, that, there's something greater happening in their hearts saying, I will stand for the Lord Jesus no matter what. No matter what. And the last thing is that when we think about heaven, the objectives of our lives become kingdom goals. The goals and objectives of our lives become kingdom goals, and we experience abundant life. That's what we really want, don't we? We really want to be on this earth free to experience life. We want the fullness of what God has prepared for us, to, to walk in the life God has made for us. And so when we think about heaven... 
when we think about where it's all going, it breaks anxiety and comparison and pride and fear. And it, produces, it should produce hope. It should produce joy. That when I, when I adopt the values of heaven, money shouldn't have as much of a hold over me because maybe God's given me money so I can bless someone. And when, when, I, when I bless someone, I feel joy in blessing them. When you buy someone groceries at Walmart, you're going to feel the love of doing that. And God's going to say, well done. And that's what we want. The greatest thing about heaven is going to be his presence. And we can experience that right now by living for the values that he has for us. So the question I guess I began with is, what are the values you're operating with? What are the values I'm operating with right now in life? The things you want for your kids. I mean, what if your kid graduates from college and says, Dad, I want to go to Saudi Arabia and be a missionary? What would you say? You went to Vanderbilt and now what? You're going to do what? I paid for this and you're going to do what? But, he's, but the value of heaven. What if your daughter finishes nursing school, and says she, says she, nursing school and she wants to join mercy ships and go from country to country for free in the poorest countries of the world and just, and just risk getting diseases and risk getting sick and risk getting abducted to love people? Are the values that we live with the values of the kingdom? Or do we want our kids to finish school you know, and then get a good job and then find their wife and 2.2 children later and, and that's what we want. The American dream. What if your wife says it's time to sell our house and buy a small house so we can give more away to whatever, to a missionary, to our son going to Saudi Arabia? No. I mean, th- these are the questions we have to ask. Every day we're going to be presented with these things. Every, not every day, but God will show us the choices in those moments, will we agree with heaven or will we agree with the norms of American culture, the norms of Jacksonville, Florida? So that's a challenge, you guys. I, I feel like I just want to say that, like, that uh, I'm in this with you. I mean, I've, I, have, I have fear. I have anxiety about this. But as we die to self, we find life. Jesus, the kingdom of God is upside down. The last shall be first. If you find, want to find life, you lose it. If you want to live, you have to die. It's the upside-down kingdom. And we seem to want to be Christians and still have the same values and objectives and principles as everyone else around us. But the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where our king became a man and died embarrassingly, humiliatingly, like no other king has ever died, the king of the universe became a man to die. The man, the king, the being that made a billion, billion stars becomes a Jewish man, a carpenter, to die. How upside down is that? It's not logical. And he says, do you want to follow me in this place of becoming less, of dying to live, of becoming last, to be first. And so that's my challenge to, to myself and to you guys today is where are we in the, our own values and our own objectives? Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much, Lord, that you showed us the way, Lord, that you didn't just yell from heaven, do this and do that, but you became a man and you showed us what it looks like. And so, Father, I pray that you would challenge us this morning, you would encourage us this morning that it's all worth it, Lord. 
It's all worth it. We say that you're, you are worth it, Jesus. To be in your presence forever is worth it, Lord. It's worth buying someone groceries, Lord. It's worth giving away and having less to see your kingdom come. And we just ask you, Jesus, reveal to us today in our own hearts and minds how to live this out in a practical way. In Jesus' name, amen.